Hi folks, this is Ramesh Dariraj. Welcome to the Semco Style Institute Shape the Future of Work podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Harini Srinivasan, a behavioral science expert and a partner at the Semco Style Institute India. I'm also a partner at Semco Style Institute, a best-selling author, coach and mentor for CEOs and sales leaders. We want to have conversations with the smartest people who can help us understand the best way to manage companies in this new era that is unfolding right before our eyes. The Semco Style Institute was founded by Ricardo Semler and is headquartered in the Netherlands. We help companies improve business performance by unlocking human potential. Our practices are derived from the lessons learned at Semco, a company Ricardo inherited from his father. He has chronicled his experiments in his best-selling book, The Maverick and The Seven-Day Weekend. Our guest today is Gaurav Jodi, the co-founder and CEO of Doppel.io. Earlier to this, Gaurav was the Chief Strategy Officer and Head of APAC at Mindtree. Welcome to the show, Gaurav. Gaurav will be talking about uh, innovation as his company, Doppel.io, is now on a path of innovating, testing for systems that are controlled over the net. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Ramesh and Harini, for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure. And uh, it's a new experience, Ramesh, to be having a tete-a-tete with you uh, like that on the other side of the table. So looking forward to have some fun today. Welcome to the podcast, Gaurav. Uh, your journey has been uh, going back and forth between running a business, quarterly goals, creating something new, so on and so forth. Uh, can you tell us a little more in detail about that journey? Uh, specifically around the practice of innovation and how that has helped shape your perception. Sure. Um, so, I mean, my background is uh, pretty typical. I mean, I'm an engineer from IIT, went to MBA for an, an IM, and uh, then as fate would have it, I basically uh, ended up uh, coming on to uh, joining the IT industry. And uh, my first twist really came around when uh, uh, I was part of the team that actually incubated uh, on mobile out of Infosys. So this was a process where we actually were, as a group, were asked to come up with ideas and, and take something which could be then uh, incubated out as a separate company. So that was a spin-off. It was, a, it was something we came up with at the time of the dot-com bubble. So that really was a very interesting time, uh, 99, 2000, and then the bubble burst. And that led us to do what is now called pivot. Uh, the term wasn't very fashionable then. And we actually morphed the company into uh, becoming a mobile value-added service provider. Personally, I actually, at that point of time, realized that, look, I had become a bit of a jack of all. Uh, because a startup at some point outgrows you. you. You find that you don't have a role. You're in the, in the late 20s. You were doing everything till that point in time. And then you have to fit yourself into this organization and I decided that I needed to actually become very good at sales. That was a piece that was missing in my uh, uh, particular uh, capability uh, set. So I moved back into Infosys. I was in, uh, then I was in sales for uh, for about five, six years. Came back to uh, India, rejoined uh, on mobile. Uh, I found the company had actually moved on in a different space altogether. Uh, my next sort of twist came in when I joined Mindtree and that was the opportunity to head up a 
a large PNL and I could grow that business. It was a phenomenal learning experience. I got to work with some of the early entrepreneurs in the Indian IT landscape, learned a lot from them. And then through that, I moved on to basically create and start this group within Mindtree, which was building our own product. So this was my second trip, literally, where we said, okay, let's innovate within the context of a large organization, what that looks like. And then finally, uh, uh, I got uh, sort of, you know, there was a particular idea that started bothering me. And I said, look, this is a problem that needs to be solved. And that led to the uh, founding of Dapelio. So that is my own venture. So if you look at there are three different uh, avatars of this innovation journey that have played out. Uh, to your specific question, you know, as to what is it that how, how have my perceptions and opinions about how innovation uh, should be practiced or is practiced uh, and my perceptions the same. Uh, the first thing and most important thing I have sort of learned over the years that, you know, there is no playbook for this. It is an absolutely, by definition, uh, innovation does come uh, in, in all shapes and sizes. It is about you being uh, open to all the opportunities that are around you and that doesn't sort of have any... Um, any specific playbook. The second thing that, uh, you know, that uh, the corollary to that is that, you know, one should not be chasing headline trends. Typically the opportunities or what really can become big is something that is not very obvious. Uh, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is obviously something which very few people say, see, not many people see. What many people see is really what is the headline trend. So to give an example, somebody might say AI is going to be huge. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, it really means that you've got to still look for a niche opportunity that is solving a real problem uh, that not many people have seen uh, needs to be solved and you go out and solve that. And uh, the last thing that uh, really I've sort of also learned is that uh, another corollary to the no playbook rule is that there are no holy cows. Uh, moment and every time you think that this is the way things are done, you find somebody will come and do it very differently. And that means you've got to always be revisiting your own, uh, you know, deeply held beliefs and be willing to question them. If you, uh, if you don't do that, you are basically setting yourself up in a trap. So these are some of the things I've learned. I mean, among the hundreds of things that, you know, one learns as you go through these kind of journeys, these are things that do stand out uh, to me as the most prominent uh, things I have picked on. You talked about revisiting deeply held beliefs as perhaps the, uh, the input uh, to great innovation. While as a leader, you can have that humility and curiosity. How do you instill that in your team? How do you make them challenge their own holy cows? Well, I think first of all, one cannot also assume that we don't have our own deeply held beliefs because sometimes you're blind to that whole existence. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the critical thing is uh, you've got to be very agile and responsive. See, if you look at any classical, let's say you come up with a new innovation, you know, the, the innovation is predicated on certain, you know, assumptions you have. That assumption is tested when you actually take it out to the market. You meet your first few customers. And as you get those customers' uh, responses and feedbacks, now starts this delicate balancing act of saying, look, I have this offering that I am now trying to get others to adopt. 
but here are the resistant points i am encountering here is what is making it harder for them to do it and what does it mean that we need to change so i think the the question really is asked more in the in the in the in the ground of reality and how you are actually moving the needle forward and what is it that one needs to move the needle forward what really does not always change uh is is the fact that you you chose the problem space to solve you chose a certain lever around with that problem space to solve but the the variations of how you want to take that how uh, somebody is going to adopt it or who you are taking that to all will undergo change so the having that agility to change first in yourself is extremely critical the second thing is in terms of convincing anybody it's much easier to do it in an evidence based manner if the result is there if there is a definite you know evidence from a, a customer saying something or you actually having a data point which we have encountered in real life that is it makes it far easier for people to uh, respond to that and the third thing i think is if 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 you know as a team you are flexible you together are flexible flexibility and the ability to adapt becomes a part of the way the team works then nobody is going to say look you know uh, the boss said this and this is the end of the world you know you sort of get it around that and and what goes hand in hand with that is the having the uh, you know the humility to accept that you are wrong humility to accept that you know uh, what i thought of then has changed and i think some of those things inculcate the culture but this is uh, you know uh, this is obviously a very delicate and hard act to follow because at some point in time you are when you are taking a, a new thing to the market you are driven by deeply held beliefs you are driven by deeply held assumptions and you are also constantly looking to validate and verify those assumptions so i think more than the team i still believe you yourself first have to be having that uh, ability and humility to question those deeply held beliefs if you don't it's very hard to take the second step you did mention that you felt you were becoming a jack of all trades uh, curious to know what triggered it and now at this point looking back at your career can you tell us what is it that actually got you prepared for innovation so uh, so back to that particular you know episode that i talked about i mean at first my impulse was more driven by uh, i would say ego i mean i was a young guy and so i had this uh, you know a new head of sales who came in and i was trying to sell and Uh, this person looked at me and said have you ever sold a multi million dollar deal to a telecom carrier before and i i really felt like you know well i've never done that and i i don't want anybody ever asking me that question in my life again so that was a little bit of a ego drive thing but as i sort of have gone through uh, you know my my career and my progression and all of that i realized that you know there are a business has to morph from you know an idea to a million dollars to 10 million to 100 million and billion and so forth uh, there are different skills and different capabilities that journey requires of its leaders and uh, i have been particularly very fortunate when i look at my journey that i've had the chance to fill a lot of those you know gaps and you know pieces as i have gone along and uh, you know so for example like i talked about like you know for years just doing this thing of delivering numbers quarter after quarter knowing what it takes to get growth done uh rain making as a skill uh learning how to manage large teams uh, learning how to grow a business from nowhere 
and then learning how to manage a small team of when i did the product team at my table was a very small team i from 3000 people i now had about you know 100 people with me but these 100 were very special people they were people with you know very deep skills very strong sensibilities and i was sort of managing navigating that uh, now we are like you know single digits people and i sort of do everything like you know uh, you do the small things the big things and you know all of that so if i look at it you know somewhere you know there i've been very fortunate that i have been able to pick on skills the other thing i sometimes look at you know is you know there's that process is never complete even today when i look at it there are there are several things i know uh, that i haven't uh, ever experienced before or done before so the other corollary from all of this is you know this is a journey of endless learning uh, at no point have we completed that process and the key thing is in the team that you have one has to make sure that that set of competencies and capabilities is uh, combined together i mean a typical thing in a you know the the cliche that they use is you know you need the hacker and the hustler uh, to make any you know innovation happen and take that to market and i think some shades of that uh, need to come together in whatever team you are you have the creators you the guys who can take it to market and having gone through this journey i think one thing that it helps me do is to sort of you know stay focused in the present and yet be able to think a little ahead not too far ahead and say what that journey would be like but i'm sure if you ask me this question 2 years down the line i'm going to tell you a few more things that i have picked on hopefully what does your company doppelio do and how did you get here right so this is a, this is a pretty interesting uh, you know things so, up uh, i mean i'll back up a little in terms of uh, sort of in our in my journey when we were trying to uh, build out product platforms at mindtree we built out a range of products that were on iot uh, based off of iot and you know one of the things that really kept bothering us through that whole period was that you know customers would start an iot pilot or a proof of concept but then they weren't scaling it up and uh, there were a gazillion reasons for that and one of the things that we kept finding again and again was there was this lack of confidence in whether this thing would do what it is promised to do when it is rolled out so think about a retailer they do a solution in a store and now to roll it down across 1000 stores uh, will it do what it is supposed to do will it do the intelligent algorithms that are supposed to play out and then the process of doing it was also very complex and then we sort of uh, came on this insight that really the solution is two parts there is a software and there is the device and the guys who write the software typically do not have any way of making sure that the software will work in the real world the only way they can do it is actually setting up thousands of devices and actually testing it out which is both uh, expensive uh, complex to do and you cannot sort of set out all those conditions and that really got us thinking that you know there has to be a smarter way of doing this thing i mean it was really actually born out of a connected buildings roll out that we were doing uh, out in the middle east and if we did it the normal way it would take one and a half years and that just didn't make any sense so that really got us uh, thinking and uh, uh, it was basically started initially as an idea by sharmila and myself we were both uh, Sharmila's our head of engineering, and then we got uh, you know talking to two other uh, leaders. We got to the four, uh, Srinivas and Rajesh, and they encountered the same problem in their own world. 
the funny thing was that when we were coming up with this idea we didn't find anybody else talk about it. so we went and googled and said look what is anybody doing with iot testing a very little uh, but we had our conviction and then we actually ended up speaking to a few customers had some conversations with prospects and figured out that yes this has a resonance with certain kinds of people but as people who are deep in the trade and that really got us saying let's set dopelio and as the name goes you know the dopelio the name really is derived from a twin in german which uh, is doppel doppel fire and the whole idea was that if every machine in the world could be converted into its data twin and then its behavior simulated then any application developer in the world can test their software against any device that is the core Uh, vision on it, and we really came up with this tagline. We said we want to move the world of IoT systems from test and pray to success assurance, and uh, so that's the mission and journey we are on. Uh, we today our uh, solution is actually used for uh, uh, connected vehicle testing, connected appliance testing. People are using it to test out, you know, logistics asset monitoring solutions. So it's a it's a very uh, uh, it, it's not one of your kind of solutions which you know the would uh, find it very easy to explain to people who are not in the trade and the business but for, for these very large complex systems that have been built out uh, it is a very critical thing to have in place and that's really what we are trying to build uh, out here so garav you spoke about uh, your three types of innovation journeys that you have seen one is incubation from a large company uh the second one is innovation within the confines of a large company and uh, then from ground up as your as your startup organization so uh, what are the challenges you think large companies have uh, uh, to trigger innovation in their in uh, their teams uh, you can you can talk about it from your experiences on people behavior uh, organizational processes what do you think are are processes or behaviors that make curb innovation so this is actually you know i think this is a topic that has you know been a subject of great uh, you know discussion research over the years um, i think one of the places where i think sometimes this question is misinterpreted a little is people believe that look you know large companies uh, are unable to come out with products and offerings or they are not able to innovate within the confines of their own business i mean they're very innovative businesses uh, innovative companies in traditional businesses i think the challenge comes is when a company needs to alter its business model for a new innovation uh, typically uh, launching a new product or being innovative in an existing business model a lot of large companies do well the challenge comes when they kind of do a new business model and there's a reason why that uh, first of all happens see the progression of a company Uh, as it becomes larger is it becomes extremely good at doing something and that extremely good means being being the being able to deliver on a particular business model year after year quarter after year being able to optimize the finest grains of that business so every nook and cranny of a large company is actually built around that business model and that is really the first source of resistance that comes in so i mean a very common example is you've been a traditional retailer and let's say you now have an e-commerce wing inside the traditional retail business the business model is fundamentally different it is not just about putting a digital facade and right down to the smallest thing there will be resistance to all of that coming into that change 
The second thing that happens is usually this, this initiative start when the current business is reasonably successful. And success is always a big limiter because uh, think of you know, any of your experiences in large organizations. There is a set of mythology, there is a set of war stories that are built around what made the company what it was. You sit in a bar and they will tell you all these great stories about how uh, the super founder did something, how he managed to beat a target on a quarter. And they, they, they are part of that thing. Now imagine somebody else coming in and saying, look, we need to do something totally different. That organization doesn't know that that change has to happen. It is not their natural suit. So first of all, I think recognizing that innovation is actually a pivot on a business model uh, is hugely important. Now, this, the second thing that happens, like the, the thing I have reason I was talking about, the whole thing about the fact that there's this mythology, there are these war stories, there is tremendous success out there, is you are being scrutinized. You think of this as an analogy. We sometimes say that when, you, uh, when you're a startup and somebody is invested in you, you, your investor should not become your boss. On the other hand, in doing the same thing inside a company, you're not only is an investor your boss, Everybody around the boss is also scrutinizing you on a daily basis. And that severely constrains anybody's ability to uh, do path-breaking innovation. I'll give you an example. Uh, if you remember when Mark Benioff uh, launched Salesforce in the early 2000s, he had this phenomenal campaign which would go like end of software. He had people standing on outside Moscone Center and all that with banners saying end of software. Now, if Mark Benioff had done that inside the confines of an Oracle or an SAP or any of the large companies, it would have been absolutely a career-ending move the day he would have done it. But having done that over three, four years led him to create a category, which is just impossible to do that, sitting inside. So the fact that the second part that comes in is you have scrutiny. You're always, if you have to make things happen in a large company, you have to make sure that you are politically acceptable to a lot of people it means you tend to uh, you know you tend to be suboptimal in what is actually needed to be making that success and that comes with also the fact that it also creates this loss of freedom and to your point that was you know what is it that the processes do uh, the the third thing that i have felt uh, and this really comes down to how leaders are built inside uh, large organizations so typically there is this fairly successful formula which says you know a large organization should look at innovation in terms of horizon one horizon two horizon three which is things that are today's business things that is maybe the medium term business and something that's way out in the future and what they do is typically divide the organization up into different pieces that look after each of these horizons the difficulty with innovation or doing any or anything entrepreneurial is the entrepreneur has to straddle all three horizons all the time now when you are not doing that when you are constrained to one or the other it takes away that ability to you know do one thing or the other thing so some way that ability to look at multiple time horizons and be able to take decisions in conjunction with that is important i mean at the heart of it all we are saying is that look a, a, a new innovation needs to be blessed with agility it needs to be given the freedom it needs to be blessed with the skills that needs to be given out. And I think all the factors I talk about take it away from uh, you know, any innovative venture. 
And I think that recognition of the business model, like Kabir again and again, I've seen this happen to companies that they become victims of an existing business model. They keep thinking of innovation as something that feeds the business model rather than something that has to be done outside. And that would be my uh, overall view on you know why large companies struggle. I mean, there are many reasons, but these would be the biggest ones I feel. Thank you for sharing your insights on innovation. Uh, which is uh, one of the principles of the Semco style framework. I'm grateful for your time and hope to speak to you again on this podcast. Thank you once again. Thank you very much, uh, Ramesh and Harmi, for having me here and uh, wish you all the very best with this podcast series and in everything you're trying to do with uh, you know, helping organizations uh, you know, do a much better job with innovation. Stay safe and look forward to catching up with you sometimes. Thank you very much, Laura. On that note, we will wrap up this episode of Shape the Future of Work from the Semco Style Institute. In future episodes, we'll be exploring how others shape the future of work in their companies. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and share the link on social media. We've provided a link to Ricardo Semler's books and his TED Talk that was viewed more than 3 million times in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening in and we shall see you on the next episode.